Super excited about this, uh, this message this morning. Um, it, it is, in my opinion, what I'm, what I'm really hoping is that we grab a hold of a truth or two and it really changes and improves the relationships that you have in life. We're in the middle of this series called Some Assembly Required. And the idea is that we have this idea in our mind of what a relationship ought to look like, whether it's with your friend or a coworker or a, or a spouse or, or parent or a child. And, and we have these ideals. Maybe we got them from Disney. Maybe we got them from the Hallmark Channel. Some of them from the Lifetime Channel. The crazy and um, Wherever we get these ideas of what relationship ought to look like, they don't come already assembled. It's like Ikea furniture. It looks good at the store. When it gets to your house, it's in a flat box and you got to put it together. That's kind of what we're talking about here. And we need help sometimes in relationships because they don't always go as well as we as we plan. So if you have your Bibles or maybe a phone app, um, we are in the book of Ephesians chapter 5, and we're going to try to wrap everything up today uh, for this series. And what I love what the author of the book of Ephesians does, so Paul wrote this letter 2,000 years ago, give or take, and he wrote it to a church that he planted, if you will. He started a church in Ephesus. And so he's writing back It's one of his Pauline epistles. He's writing back to the church at Ephesus and giving them some instruction about who they are in Christ. And then the last couple of chapters, he talks about how to have good relationships. And he talks about all kinds of relationships, like the relationships that we have with each other, the relationship that we have with God. He talks about the relationship of a husband and a wife, a parent and a child. In chapter 6, he talks about the relationship between a master and a slave, which we could interpret as maybe... Yeah, master and slave. Um, but it's like you're, you know, in a work in a work environment, bosses and, and workers and all that kind of stuff, and, and what all that needs to look like. And what I love here is that God just doesn't leave it alone. That that God inspired Paul to write these words for us in in relation to the people in our lives and what that needs to look like and how to interact. We learn in chapter five, verse one that primarily it says that we are supposed to be imitators of Christ. And so as we interact with each other, we're supposed to be imitating Christ. Now, I love that word so much, imitator. It's, it's the Greek word mimetus, where we get the word mime. And have you ever heard a mime talk? We're really good at telling people what to do. But imitating actual Christ-like behavior is something we're not so good at. And I think a lot of times it would really help our relationships if we would just shut up. If we would just shut our mouth and actually just start acting like Jesus wants us to act and it would make a huge difference. You're welcome. So he says, he says, well, I want you to be imitators of Christ. And then he talks us the next verse, he says to walk in love. And we talked about what it looks like to walk in love. And then we're going we're gonna to kind of run through the next like 18 verses, right? Because it's not part of today's message, but it's really important. It talks about our life, our Christian life. He talks about in, in verse 3 of chapter 5, he talks about sexual purity. Uh, in the following verses, he talks about walking in the light. He talks about healthy communication that, that builds up each other rather than tears down. He talks about living a, a life that's full of purpose. He talks about understanding what God's will. He talks about being filled 
filled with the Spirit in verse 18, which then enables us to do so many things. And then that is going to cause us to communicate well and to sing and, and be thankful. And that's kind of what happens in verses 3 through 20. And then we get to this great verse, verse 21 of chapter 5, and he gives us a remarkable truth when it comes to relationships. And it's, it's often heard, but so rarely put into practice. And so I want to share this verse with you. Let it sit there for just a second and see what this would mean for our relationships. And whatever relationship that you seem to struggle with, whether, it is, whether it's with a spouse or maybe that person in the cubicle next to you or whether it's with a, a, an in-law, God help us. Um, you know, I, I, I love my wife's mother-in-law. That works every time. You know what I mean? I, I've, I've probably done that one like 10 times in the last couple of years. It works every time. But it is, it is so incredible that like when we talk about relationship problems, somebody pops into your brain. Like, yeah, that's, that's the one. Yep, I, yep, okay. All right. So let's just sit in that for a second. And, and, and let's, let's just forget about what their role is and let's determine what your role is here. Let's, let's realize that there's probably not a lot you're going to be able to do to change them. And let's kind of focus now on where God is focusing, and that is on you this morning. And let's stop figuring out who we wished were in here to hear this. And let's figure out that I'm here to hear this, and God must be trying to do something in my life this morning. Look at verse 21. It says this. It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Woo! So what do you mean, Paul? I mean that we're supposed to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Yeah, but I mean, like, what does that mean? It means we're supposed to submit to each other out of reverence for Christ. And we have such a hard time with that. And I, I get it because conventional wisdom says that, that the pursuit of my own happiness in life is like my right. But the problem with pursuing your own happiness and that, and that this relationship is for my benefit is that everybody does that and now we are crossing paths with each other and running into each other as we're all attempting to satisfy ourselves. But here's the truth. Our attempts to satisfy ourselves will inevitably lead to conflict with somebody else. It's just, I mean, if we're all in it for ourselves, if, if my relationship with my wife is only for my benefit or my relationship with my children is only so that they make me happy or make me look good, or my relationship with my coworkers is just so that I can get ahead a little bit. If everything in our life, all of our relationships are about what, what they can do for me or what's in it for me, eventually we're going to have a conflict with somebody else who is attempting the same thing. And at some point, we are going to be diametrically opposed to each other and have some kind of a conflict. We're going we're gonna to collide our wills because we're all attempting the same thing, and that is to satisfy ourselves. And what Paul offers us here in verse 21 is a paradigm shift of thinking when it comes to our relationships with each other. And he gives us in that verse, in my opinion, two factors or two truths 
that can impact and affect any relationship in a positive way. Here's the, here's the first thing, that there is a third party in every relationship. For a believer, for somebody who is a Christ follower, when it is a relationship with a coworker or a relationship with a spouse, there's a third person to consider. It's not just about the two of you, like what's, what's best for me or what's best for them. The idea is that we are submitting one to another, the Bible says, out of reverence for Christ. So there's a third person. There's a third party to consider here. Here's what it is not. It's not what I want versus what they want. And that's where we have the issues. That because, because what I want doesn't always match up with what she wants, especially when we're trying to figure out where to go eat. Just shoot me in the head. It's like... It's like it's it's a it's a it's a lose lose situation, right? I can I can well, are there any good marriage counselors in the house? But that but that those instances where you find yourself in conflict with somebody else, and I don't know where your relationships are this morning. I don't know where your struggles are, but if you would. Maybe just sit back. And, and, and I'm not talking about an abusive situation. I'm not talking about somebody who is overstepping their boundaries. I'm not talking about somebody who is being inappropriate. I'm not, that's, that's not what we're talking about. I'm saying in typical, reasonably healthy relationships, submission and realizing that there's a third person that, that takes priority in this relationship can be a game changer. It goes from, from being what I want versus what you want to where now there is somebody else to consider. Notice as we go down through here, for the, for the Christian, what we find is our first consideration becomes, what does Jesus want? And, and, and if you please, please understand, I, f- I believe with every ounce of my being that even though you're married to an imperfect person, that was a great opportunity, but I noticed how silent you were. I don't care like, like who your coworker is or who your friend is. I believe with every ounce of my being that that relationship can work and that relationship can be improved if we focus on what does Jesus want out of that relationship. Even if you're the only one who's interested in that. And I'll bet we could have a, raise, a show of hands here like when you feel like you're the only one really trying in a relationship. And if you're the only one who's really putting forth the effort and your kid doesn't care or he doesn't care or the coworker is on a different planet and you guys just aren't communicating, if even one of you will decide, I think God has a purpose in this. I think Jesus has an opinion here. He's a third person in this relationship. I think it makes the difference how you, how you behave and how you act and, and what the outcome of that relationship can possibly be. Because here's what Paul does. As soon as he tells us that we're supposed to submit one another, the King James says, out of fear of the Lord, out of reverence for Christ, what, it, what, it, what Paul then goes on to say is, he says that, that relationship with Christ then becomes the focal point in, in wives to husbands and husbands to wives and, and husbands to Christ and children's to parent children's. Shut up. You'll public speak one day and you'll mess it up too. <laughs> Parent to children, um, um, workers and co-workers and bosses and, and all of that. All of that follows this verse about submitting one to another in the fear of the Lord or out of reverence 
for Christ. So, so here's, here's the question. Who am I yielding to? Who am I obeying here? If you disagree with your spouse, if you disagree with, with, with another individual uh, in, in a relationship, all right, so it's you versus them. It's, it's their will versus your will. Who's going to win in this battle of the wills? Who's going who's gonna to come out on top here? And then that, that is one approach. The other approach is to say, you know what, there's a third person here, and I believe that Jesus Christ has an opinion about how I behave and what is best for this relationship, even if they don't get it. I'm responsible for that. And so what does that mean for my behavior and how I'm supposed to behave in this relationship? And you can actually win and not win. Like you can actually win in this relationship by allowing yourself to win in the relationship even though you don't feel like you won. Because the truth of the matter is whoever you are yielding yourself to is the God of your relationship. So whoever you are yielding your will to becomes the Lord of your life. And you can be a believer. You can, you can be a follower of Jesus. But if it's more important for you to get your own way in a relationship, then you are not demonstrating the Lordship of Christ in your relationship. I know it's hard. I know, I, I know that it's difficult to, quote, unquote, take the high road. I know that it's hard to not engage with them the same way they're trying to engage with you. But what Paul is telling us here, what, what God is telling us through his word is that before you get into a conflict in a relationship or if you're in the middle of a conflict in a relationship, Take a step back and realize there's a third person here that needs to be considered. And so then the second thing that I would say that I pulled out of this verse right here, and that is that seeking self rarely satisfies. I know you get what you want, but sometimes you get what you want, and it really didn't feel like my Amazon account proves it, okay? Like you look at my Amazon account, it's like, I, I'm, I'm on a first-name basis with my UPS man, right? The brown does a lot for me. And I love seeing the man pull up in my driveway. But it's like I get something and then I want to order something else. It's like we, we have, okay, so it's, it's called, this, this is what I dubbed it anyway, destination disappointment. So you can get what you thought you wanted and still not be happy. There's this disappointment that happens when you do actually get what you, so you can win, like you can be right. And it still doesn't feel good. How many times, I mean, I'm right most of the time in my relationship with Melissa. So this is like firsthand experience right here. Yeah, <laughs> I tried, you didn't buy it either. But it's like, like we can, even if you know you're right, I'm still trying to remember what that feels like. But even if you, if, if you know you're right, and even if you win, you don't really feel like you won because it doesn't feel good. And so it's like, like it's this destination disappointment that, all right, I got it. Woo, I was right. See, I showed you. It doesn't feel good. It's, it's not there. It, it doesn't do anything. So, so seeking yourself is rarely satisfying you can win but not be happy. And you can get it, but then it's like, okay, well, what's next? 
I mean, how many times does that happen when you feel like you get what you wanted, but then that really wasn't what it was all about? And what, what went along with proving yourself right just wasn't as great as you thought it was going to be. So, destination disappointment. So, here's, here's a good question for you. So, what is the right way to find fulfillment? So, if I'm in a relationship and, and I know that I need to consider that there's a third party here and the Lord has is, is got an opinion about this and, and, and uh, yeah, they're, they're being an idiot or he's a jerk or, you know, he's being selfish and I don't know how to handle this and it really is, it really is bothering me and I'm supposed to submit to that. I don't understand what you're saying. How does that honor the Lord? And, I, and, and, I'm, not, and I'm not telling you to be a doormat. I'm not telling you to, to allow somebody else to be abusive to you because submission is a, is a voluntary decision on your part. It's not something that somebody else can command or demand of you okay so if you're that jerk that tells your wife to submit because the bible says so you don't get it all right and I'm, my, my 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 opinion is this my opinion is this that the reason you say that is because you're not being a, you're not doing a great job in your role because i think that if you were loving her well it would not be as big of an issue and I don't know nothing. Like, I'm not, I'm not pointing anybody out. I'm just saying from the, from the people that I've heard about one time in my life, nobody in this room, <laughs> typically, like, when a, when a husband has to pull out that card and say, well, the Bible says you're supposed, it's because he's not being who he's supposed to be. I'm just saying, that's, that's, that's whew, okay. But in God's economy, in God's kingdom, in God's way of doing things, there is a there's just a different mentality. So Eric, how do I find fulfillment if it's not getting in my own way, if it's not getting my own way, if it's not me picking out the restaurant, if it's not me getting my own way, then how do I find fulfillment? Well, look what Jesus said. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 16, he says this, he said, for whosoever shall save his life shall lose it. Now wait, what? Okay, so the idea of saving here is to keep from danger. So if you go through life and all you're trying to do is protect yourself, you're going to lose your life. But then he said this. He said, on the other hand, he said, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. So you're willing to give yourself for the cause of Christ. Christ has an opinion. Christ is a part of this relationship. And if you're willing to to behave the way that he wants to behave, and if you're willing to, to invest yourself in this in such a way that honors him, and we submit ourselves out of reverence for Christ, it's going to come with a different result. I mean, he is the one that prayed, Father, not my will, when he was facing the cross. Matthew 6.33 says this, Seek you first the kingdom of God, you may have heard this before, and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And the idea here being, in context, he's talking about stuff and worrying about life and what you're going to wear and, and your retirement benefits and all of that. He's saying, he's saying, just seek first the kingdom of God and all those things are going to be added unto you. I don't think he's advocating foolishness. But I think that he is advocating fellowship. 
And I think that if we're willing to think differently about the eternal benefit of our relationships and how much better is it to model Jesus to somebody who needs to see it than to get your own way. In light of eternity, what is more important? In light of eternity, how much better is it to address this situation and respond the way that Jesus would be honored than for you to get your way and not have any benefit from that for all of eternity? If you're going to lose your life, you'll find it. But if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. Seek first the kingdom of God. There's just a different way of looking at life. But if I let go of this, Eric, you don't understand. If I let go of this, if, if I don't get my, they, they're just not seeing, I know, I get it, right? Please understand that God's working on them too. But you are not responsible for their actions. You're responsible for yours. So what do I do with this? I step out on faith. All right, God, I'm gonna do what you want me to do in this relationship. You know, there's a, there's a, there's a verse of scripture that talks about the, the, maybe when, when you don't have a, a, one of your, a spouse that's not interested in the things of the Lord and the, and the ones specifically, like maybe you have a husband that's not interested in the Lord, but the wife is, and it actually says in there sometimes somewhere that, that, that the, the actions of the wife and how she interacts with the husband the way that God wants her to could actually win the man to Christ because of the way that she's behaving. What a, what a great eternal benefit. Like even if she doesn't get her way on everything. So, so the right kind of fulfillment is to seek first the kingdom of God and, and what is the most eternally beneficial. So here's what, what it is. It becomes a matter of priority then. So in, in my life, in my decisions, in, in, in my angst and frustration of trying to get my way in this relationship, it comes a matter of priority. If I'm serving the King of Kings, if I, if I say that Jesus is Lord of my life, if, if I'm trying to live out his purposes here on earth and, and the greater purpose than my own, then it's going to change how I do relationships. You cannot have your rights by insisting on them. Because you're always going to be cheated when you are only seeking for yourself. But here's the thing. It's not like most of us haven't heard this before. And we will nod our head in agreement, right? Like, that's right, Eric. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, that's, I understand that. The problem is not that we don't acknowledge it. The problem is not that, that we don't believe it's true. The problem is that we don't feel like it applies to our specific situation. Like, I mean, I agree with Paul. And I believe Jesus knows what he's talking about. But you haven't met my wife. Not my wife. My wife's great. But you've not met my coworker. You don't know what my husband is like. I, and, and, and again, I'm not talking about abuse. And I'm not talking about like, like when they're overstepping the boundaries and they are, and they are uh, demanding things of you that are inappropriate. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about those situations where it's your will versus their will. It's what I want versus what they want. And you've got conflict in a relationship. 
And we can, we can look at, at this relationship and we can even agree with what Eric is saying and we can see it in the Bible and we know that that verse is right there, but it just doesn't apply because I don't think Paul knew who my husband was. And I don't think that God fully understands my situation. And so instead, we feel like we need to stand our ground and we need to make a point rather than trying to make a difference. And we look at Ephesians 5.21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Do I dare do this? Do I try it? Do I step out on faith? Do I make this happen? Do I... Do I step back and just let God work in this situation? Do I submit myself? And I want to make sure that I kind of take away the stigma of submission here. Because submission, again, is not somebody telling me what to do. Submission is a voluntary action where I express love and I suppress pride. And I'm willing to allow God to do what God's going to do. So, when we're in conflict with somebody else, here's just a few things that I might, I might suggest that might be something you should consider. The first of all, does, does Jesus have an opinion about this? So, in this situation, does Jesus have an opinion? The issue is usually not the issue, right? But whatever, whatever the real issue is, it's probably something that's important to Jesus. And what is his opinion about the situation? What is he trying to accomplish? All right? That then takes us to the second question. All right? How should his opinion then affect my behavior? So I'm assuming here that Jesus does have an opinion because he does. And if Jesus does have an opinion, it's not if it should affect my behavior. The question is how should it affect my behavior? So you're in a conflict with somebody else, they're being an idiot. You're willing to admit that for them. (laughs) Even if they don't see it, right? It's plain as day. But here's the thing. They probably think the same thing on the other end, right? Because most people feel justified in the way that they're behaving. Most people. Some people are just weird. And so so both parties are feeling like the other party is being unreasonable. And both parties feel like they're justified in how they feel about the other party. So what I'm saying is like at some point, somebody needs to respond appropriately and say, all right, what's Jesus' opinion about this? And if he has an opinion, then how am I going to respond with what Jesus would like me to do? And then the third question I just would like to ask you is, is, is are we willing to lose in order to win? Because you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you win and it doesn't feel good. Sometimes you get what you wanted, but you lost what you had. It just wasn't worth the win. And what Jesus is telling us in Matthew there is, is, is losing can be a good thing. Unless you're the Redskins, then it's always just <laughs> bad all the time. I just lost half the audience right there. I'm sorry. I, can I take that back? Like we, we didn't do great either this year. So, But are we willing to lose in order to win? Are we willing to take a hit in order for there to be a greater eternal benefit? 
Are we willing to submit to allow God to work? Are we willing to let the Lord have the space he needs to work in the situation? What does that look like? Like you don't have to fix everything. You're, you're, you're not equipped. Like you don't, you, don't have to, you don't have to fix everything. And you're not called to fix them. I would just say let God do what God's going to do. Look at the bigger picture. Sometimes losing, <laughs> losing your own way means actually winning. And sometimes winning means you actually lost. And here's the, here's the incredible thing. Is that we are called to be salt and light in this world. But too often, like, there's no difference in how we behave. We respond the same way our coworkers do. And we sit there and, and, and gripe about our husbands. We gripe about the other coworkers. And all we do is perpetuate how we think we feel. And we're not, we're not responding any differently than anybody else. And let me tell you, in the kingdom economy, there's a different way to live. There's a different way to do life. And it works. That's the, that's the thing. It works. And there is somebody who has an opinion about this, and his name is Jesus. And he is working on their heart just as much as he's working on yours. And you can't do anything to change them, but he is well prepared and incredibly equipped to work in their heart and life. And maybe just allow him the space to do what he's trying to do. And if nothing else, you've got peace in your own heart because you're stepping out on faith and trusting God to do it. And you're just doing what you're doing. And you're letting God work, and you are showing reverence for God, reverence for Christ by just submitting and letting them do what they're going to do and letting God do what he's going to do and acting appropriately. All right, now we can breathe. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you for these uncomfortable instructions. Thank you that you don't give us easy answers because the easy answers haven't been working. The arguments and the yelling and the frustration and the crying haven't done much to fix the problem and help us to be willing to let you step in, speak to our own hearts, work on theirs, and I believe your desire is to heal. And I ask you to do that in our relationships this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.